For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Art Williams entitled Grace, Faith, Humility, and Yeah, but. Mr. Williams. If you happen to be looking in Strong's for uh, the last word, yeah, but you might have a hard time finding it. <clears throat> this message is about what Reggie mentioned earlier, about Christ abiding with us and in us. And Paul wrote in Corinthians about the mystery, the mystery of Christ in you, living in you through the Holy Spirit. And we all know that this begins with hearing the word, believing the word that we hear, and acting upon what you've heard, resulting in repentance, baptism, laying on of the hands, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, living his life again in you the way he wants it to be done, teaching you, leading you, guiding you, directing you. If you, I, we, and when I say you, I'm applying it to me and we, inclusive, okay? If we allow it. If we seek him to be a factor in our lives, he makes us the salt of the earth, the seasoning that makes it all palatable. Some of these basic teachings are in the title of this message, Grace, Faith, and Humility. And they're all integral parts of us becoming and acting and continuing to act in a way that Jesus would. The yabbats is the impedance that we internally have against it. In 1 Corinthians 1.3, it's written by Paul, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing we need to do is define grace because we have heard it said that grace is the unpardoned Unworthy, unworthy pardon of us. But when we look into the concordance and Strong's numbers, we find a little bit different meaning for grace. Continuing in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, the unmerited pardon. You didn't earn your salvation, it's a free gift. But when we look up Strong's Numbers 4585 for grace, it's used 130 times for grace, six times for favor, 11 times for thanks or derivatives of thanks, and seven times miscellaneously. It's Strong's Number 5485 is a noun. Vine's words for it are accept, acceptable, acceptable, benefit, benefactor, favored, favored, and I love it when they define the word with the same word, grace, liber, libera, liberal, liberality, thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving, thankworthy. And this Strong's number 4585 is a derivative from 5465, which is a verb meaning 
of manner or act acceptable benefit favor gift or grace gracious joy liberality pleasure thanks and this can be in the abstract or in the concrete in the literal in the figurative or in the spiritual which is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life And it's interesting, if you go to Galatians 5, I think it's 22 through 26, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The derivative for joy is the same word, 54, 63, the verb. And in our Webster's Dictionary, grace is defined as favor, kindness, mercy, an act or exhibition of favor, a state of being favored or in favor. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, 3, where Paul writes, grace be unto you, we might say, favor, kindness, mercy be unto you. And he often tags that in with peace. Now we know that salvation and our redemption is not the result of our works. It says in Romans 4.4 4, Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. And we know that in Rome, continuing in Romans 5 and on to 6 we'll read both of them. But to him that works not but believes on him that justifies the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God inputs righteousness without works. And that's what happens when he abides with us. He abides with us. He leads us. He directs us. And we end up with what is conveyed here, his will, his way, his timing. Now the yabbats can do some interesting things for us and not in the positive way. The yabbats can encapsulate Christ inside of ourselves and prohibit him from facilitating us in the way that he wants us to be. It inhibits, inhibits him from influencing us. It inhibits our faith. It, is, it inhibits humility. It says in Psalms 119.104, through your precepts I get understanding and therefore I hate every false way. There are many false ways and having them are to, revealed to us is part of what the Holy Spirit does. The internal false ways that are part of our internal character value structure wherein we deceive ourselves into poor decision making not following Christ doing it our own way and it doesn't matter whether you're rich 
or poor, whether you're powerful or whether you're weak. False ways, not facing reality of your problems and seeking resolution through his leading direction and learning the principles of life, which is what the book of the Bible is all about. In applying them in whatever situation you may find yourself. And whether you're a man or a woman, and whether you're sitting out there or standing up here, you can be deceived by your own heart, by your own false ways. And pride and self-ego gets in the way because I know how it should be done. I know the right way. No one else does. I'm just as important. I'm just as special. I'm just as smart as the next person. And when correction is received, either from the Holy Spirit or perhaps from reading the scriptures, we always have the, yeah, but, and the exception and the excuse. The Proverbs 4, 5 says, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline your words from my mouth. We can understand intellectually our inability when compared to God, God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's ability. But yet being human, because we are human, we can turn right around and draw lines in the sand and then go along with our personal superior wisdom and understanding and not comprehending the essence of what the being inside of us is telling us, leading us, guiding us, and directing us. It's his wisdom, his understanding that is needed it is not drawing a line in the sand. And so metaphorically speaking, metaphorically speaking, the three-month-old baby is incap incapable of controlling their bladder, and we are just as incapable as a 60-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old to control some of the aspects of our own lives. Part of repentance is, com part of repentance is coming to realize that. Your faith, 1 Corinthians 2.5, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The method, the process, the management techniques, the economic plan, all concepts of men. God's not bound by them. God's not bound by men's programs or their opinions. He will supply the gifts for you personally, fulfill your needs if you rely on him and stop looking to have solutions on your own terms and in your own way. He makes success out of the efforts he supports and the method employed can be insignificant. If you need favor in the eyes of men he can grant you that. And on the other hand, 
if in the past you have dealt deceitfully with those and high-handed with those men, and so they don't completely trust you, he may not act so quickly unless one proves to him that you have opened your eyes and you now see. We need to strive for the faith that stands in the power of God. That he leads us personally. And the church too. He's in charge. It's his church. And what he wants us to do, whether personally in our lives, or whether we're talking about the church, if he wants it done, it will get done. And he will supply the gift. He will supply the need. It's interesting if we look at church history, how centuries went by and very little has been done. And then all of a sudden, 1960 comes. The advent of radio and television. And all of a sudden, worldwide evangelism. Boom, cranks right up. And then we look at the original seven churches that's referenced in the book of Revelation and how they were in a position that at some point in time in their history they were dissolved and they went away and their land became occupied by those that didn't believe in Christianity. There's one church over in Ephesus today but by and large those seven churches at some point the people that were there either gave up their faith or they died in the faith or they fled the area or they went underground. And so he will supply those needs and the, to the function that he wants the church to be. Perhaps it's time for the church to flee to the west as those uh, churches that were in Revelation probably did, at least some of the people anyway. And as they went to the west, they spread evangelism. They spread the truth. And that was part of his doing. He had control over it. It was not always a cakewalk. But the key to all of this We've got grace, and we've got the faith that we believe. The key to all of this is humility. Humility 100% of the time. You know when you're most humble? You know when you're most humble? You think it's at Sabbath? Are you most humble when you're at Sabbath services, church services? Are you most humble when you're at a holy day? How about Passover? When do you think you are the most humble you're most humble when you can't say yeah, but because you're asleep. You ever go to sleep and you're thinking about scriptures and maybe you're trying to understand something or maybe you have a scripture you're trying to apply in your life and you go to sleep with that cogitating in your mind and you wake and you can't figure it out. And then the next morning you wake up, bingo, the answer's there. What happened? You were humble enough. You got it up here when you, you're out about the yabots weren't getting in the way. The answer's there. Bingo. Humility is a tough thing. Listening to the still, still small voice, planting the seed in your mind and listening to that. Tough thing. The magnitude 
of the scope his, of his work and the scope of individual lives is worldwide. And it's different in different parts of the world. It's interesting what Paul writes in Acts 17, 26 through 28. <coughs> Excuse me. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Wait a minute. Grope for him and find him? Yet you know what groping is? It's like being in a dark room and somebody puts a bandage around your eyes so you can't see. And, and, and you've never been in this room before, so there you are. And they tell you, oh, you can get out of here because there's a door, but you don't know where it is. And they cleverly put you up near a door. So you're feeling around like this in the dark. And then finally you feel a molding. You say, ah. And then you feel around, you feel a doorknob. Ah, the door. I got the door. I got the door. Where's the key? Where's the key? And you fumble around there, totally in the dark, trying to find the key. Can't find the key. After a while, you give up. You move over to another spot in the room. You go around till you get to a window. And you, you, you screen, a screen, a window. And get out through the can't get the screen open. So you continue along and you go through this whole big room and you're trying and you're starting to get wore out. And then you hear this voice over here. Where did I come from? I think he came over this way. Yes, over here. Come further. And then you realize, you put your hands out and you realize you're in a hallway. And then you feel draft of air coming through. There must be a door, a window. So you go down the path, you, this hallway that you go through, and you find an open door that's been there all the time, but you couldn't see it. It was there all the time. And he continues in this scripture, and he says, that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's there. He's there. Groping for him is totally is a little bit different from seeing him as a light. Having him expound the word, hearing the word, or perhaps you're in a state of mind wherein you don't want to hear it. Perhaps you're in a nation that won't allow it because he has pre-appointed times and boundaries for their dwelling. Curious thing that he says, that they might grope for him. In Isaiah 55, 7 through 12, he talks about the wicked man forsaking his ways. And he's talking about unconverted men here that don't know the truth. But he says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon but he says something that is even more significant than that part of it. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's tough in our society because we have so many concepts, and if you're in the business world, there are programs, there are methodologies, there are theories, there are statistics, there are so many different ways to go about making our decisions. But he can help us out in all of those, whether we're talking our personal lives, whether we're talking husband, wives, parents and children, whether we're talking professional, whether we're talking political. But the more difficult part is to apprehend the function that he wants you to play, wants us to play, so that we're in harmony with him. His ways are higher than our ways. And continuing in verse 10, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but the waters of the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What does it say in the New Testament? The sower of the seed. Give water, for the, give seed to the sower and bread, the bread of life to the eater, Christ. So my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. That's both personal and corporate. It will be profitable for what he wants to do if we lend ourselves to it. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you, singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands, metaphorically. And so, abiding in Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, acting in grace, with grace, being in harmony with grace, believing him, having faith, seeking his wisdom and his way. And eliminating the yebats. Yebats are awfully excuses for not following his way. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.12, 2 Corinthians 1.12, now he's speaking in his own terms from his own heart here, but there's an application for us. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. You know, the antithesis of simplicity are man's rules, regulations, and government. 14,000 pages of Obamacare. Anybody want to try to adhere to that? 14,000 pages of legislation? 
not exactly simplicity. You see, the simplicity of God is if you need healing, you ask him. Real easy. Now, he may act on that and grant your request, or he may not. That gets down to your personal relationship with him, your function that he wants you to be doing, where you're going, what you've been doing in the past. He can, heal you phys- he can heal you physically. He can heal you mentally. He can guide your decisions. He can solve whatever your problems are. For our boasting, 2 Corinthians 1 through 12, for our boasting is this, that the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom, but with the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Paul, when he writes to the churches, often starts, grace be unto you and peace. It's an essential part of living this Christian life. Grace, faith, humility, It's all hard. It's something we strive for. And part of that striving is to eliminate the yeah buts. Eliminating our own desires and putting it in his terms, in his ways, so he can make out of us the things that he wants us to be for his glory and his purpose.